Welcome to Creepy Culture, CM Life's scariest podcast, where we discuss horror movies, video games, music, and more. I'm your host, Stephanie Chipman. And I'm your host, Tyler Clark. And today we are going to talk about true crime and crimes that are real and movies have based their killers off of them. It's basically how true crime inspires this horror culture. And sort of the fascination with true crime and why it has blown up in recent years. Honestly, I think um, part of it is because of the film, right? Because we have all these films that start with, based on a true story. Like There's nothing the more Texas chilling. Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, or The Exorcist, right? Yes, which some of those are not, not really based on a true story. Based on true events based on true people, but, like, Leatherface is not one killer. He's not based on one guy. He's based on multiple killers, but takes heavy influence from, say, Ed Gein, who was the Plainfield ghoul, um, who did a lot of messed up stuff. Like, uh, he was known for robbing graves and making weird little pieces of art not art i guess wouldn't be the trophies he made like a lamp out of human skin i believe which furniture made out of human skin yeah what you see leatherface doing and he also wore women's clothes which uh, you also see leatherface with the woman's face on him and uh mutilated corpses but, I mean, there are so many killers that Leatherface is based off of. And Ed Gein influenced Psycho. He influenced, what are some other ones? Um, I know he, he influenced Psycho and Silence of the Lambs. Yes. Okay. Um, because of this, like, wanting to build his mother, right? And in Silence of the Lambs, he wanted to build a suit for himself. So it's that same kind of concept of his obsession with his mother, you know, the Psycho part, and then um, wanting to build rebuild his mother after she passed away that's like the science of the lambs part and then the the building of the the uh, trophies yeah that's texas texas chainsaw massacre so he kind of they took little different bits of his story and turned it into different films in a way yeah i mean and it makes a lot of sense why a filmmaker would like look to real horror in the world when making a film. And it, it is fascinating. And people, I think, the general public, is they're fascinated with serial killers just because it's so confusing. Like, why? Why does this person feel the need to do this? It's so horrific. It's like a car accident. You can't look away. You gotta know what happens because it feels so alien. And you almost can't believe it's real. Even listening to people talk about it or whatnot. And I think movies really, they really dumb that down a little bit. That the true crime aspect of it. And they do, or they tend to amp it up beyond what actually happened. Which is the case with Leatherface, right? Or like 
scream that uh, the Gainesville Ripper who was what was his name Daniel Daniel Rowling he um that that was based on a string of Florida murders which inspired scream but I don't think it was a telephone wielding what's your favorite scary movie type guy Wait, you didn't think he wore the ghost face mask while he killed people I don't think he was coming after Sydney Prescott because of her mother so there are a lot of liberties taken oh yeah it's but, inspiration yeah and I I but I do think that like the true crime is at the base of it that people become interested in the true crime and then turn it into something new after that and I, I do think and I think it's surprising how many movies that we've already seen kind of do have these like true crime backgrounds like silence of the lambs right and the exorcist and i don't know if that's true crime but no that it's more like true story true story depending on what you believe that's true and the exorcist is one of those films some of the more ghostly ones or the religious horror ones it's it depends on what you believe mm-hmm which makes it true, or in the sense of the exorcist, there was a real exorcism. Now, real depends on what you believe, but there was a priest who performed an exorcism on a young boy named uh, Ronald uh, Ronald Hankeller. His name was, uh, he was referred to as Roland Doe for a while. I don't think his name was in the public eye. But um, it was a real exorcism in 1949 performed on a boy. And he was he was given a, a Ouija board by his aunt, who then died. And the boy started experiencing, or supposedly experiencing, um, paranormal activity. He said that there were things like floating in his house. He would hear knocking in the walls, things like that. And that's what The Exorcist, the book, and the movie, they're based on. But it's up to you, I guess, to believe if like, if you believe in ghosts and things like that. If he was really possessed or not. Yeah, because exorcisms have happened. Those are real oh, things yeah. that happen. It's just whether or not you believe that the exorcism is actually doing anything. Yeah, I mean, I understand that, and and that's that one's tough. It's tough to tra- call it true crime because was was there crime? There wasn't committed? a crime. Where it, whereas like Ed Gein did kill those people, did rob those graves. This is more like, was there a ghost? Was there a demon? Who knows? There. It really depends on Happened your in beliefs. the 40s, to be fair. Yes, and in the 40s. <laughs> so I don't He know. might have just been mentally ill, and they called a priest. The 40s were... A, a lot could get messed up in translation. I mean, they still can. Well, yeah, that is true. But it's interesting to see where these movies come from. And, um, you know, and the true crime doesn't doesn't just stem from there, you know? It can be... It can. It's obviously turned into other things. And I'm not as dialed into true crime as you are. I know you. You like to watch some of the things. Um, I really. Um. I, I fell in love with forensic files, and that's like kind of the the 
the old one, like the the original true yeah. crime show, right? I've seen all the episodes. I hate to brag about it because oh. I honestly I don't remember very many of them. <laughs> There's so many and they're all different. And um, I am one of those people that I prefer to watch solved mysteries. It's really hard to like watch an entire story or listen to an entire story and them really, you, you know, it, it plays with your empathy. And then at the end, they still haven't solved it. They don't know who did it. You know, right? Like the Zodiac Killer. They only just figured out who they who they think it is. And he's already dead. Like, what, what, kind, of, yeah. what kind of justice is that? Yeah. And that that is like a pill hard to swallow. Because I feel like mo- some people think that, like, oh, every murder gets solved. That's but, not true. And it, yeah. A lot of them don't. Which is... There's a sense of mystery, and I think that draws people in. Oh, yeah. A and, lot of the times, yeah. And I think the sense that it could happen to us. And we, we have to believe that it won't, especially after watching stuff like that. But it could. It could very easily happen. I was saying to the, the girls in the office the other day that, like, you always have to expect to be attacked because it always happens when you least expect it. <laughs> so if you always expect it, it won't happen. You know, it's a joke, obviously, but just it puts you on your toes, right? Watching this kind of stuff. Which is why I think true crime, things like that, do well as podcasts, do well as late night TV type things. But things like The Conjuring, which are like true stories, as in Ed and Lorraine existed and they thought they were hunting ghosts. Whether Maybe they were they, or not. Yeah, that's not up to me. I I have my beliefs. But they were real. They were real people, and they've been on TV. But I feel like they do better as movies because, like, you can listen to their books or and whatnot, but there's you don't know what actually happened. Whereas in a movie, they can sort of show you. Like, you can have the nun coming out of the paintings and stuff. But, like, real serial killers actually murdered those people. You have tangible evidence and people who, like, corroborate the stories. So I think there's sort of a divide there. There is. And um, I don't know. I think you're right. Some things do work better visually. I think it's, sometimes it's easier to tell a story, even if it's not 100% accurate, in a visual way, especially stories like that, where you can't, you really can't get the full story. You can't understand it in the full way that, you know, the people that experienced it did without the help of a little bit of, um, you know, fiction. Yeah. But I don't mind that. I mean, I find it fascinating that, like, Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, they believed what they were doing. I, I have no doubt about that. No, I mean, uh, that that's pretty serious stuff going on TV, saying you're a ghost hunter. Yeah, and they had their their museum of all of the things that they found with the original Annabelle doll. Who was actually a, um, she was an Anne, right? She raggedy was a Anne. Raggedy Anne. Yep, they really had her locked in a glass case, and they really had a priest come by, I think it was every day, and bless the whole, like, premises. Admittedly, a Raggedy Ann is really not as scary as the doll that they use in the movie. Which, for good effect in the movie, but, like... I'm just glad they didn't ruin anybody's favorite childhood toy. Yeah. Because <laughs> I feel like if they used the Raggedy Ann as the face of Annabelle, then I 
think that we would see that people would feel a lot differently about her. I'm curious if the place is still being blessed. Is because it being they're blessed? both dead. Ed died in 2006 and Lorraine in two, uh, 2019. Are you implying that like Annabelle is loose right now? Hey, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> because um, I think they had a kid, but I don't think she wanted anything to do with it. I don't blame her. Growing up in that environment, that would be terrifying. Yeah. It's too real. That's too real for kids. Their museum is shut down now. Like, you can't go visit it. Oh, they should have it open. They'd be, make, be making money hand over fist. I, just, I don't know whose it is now, though. It's like, where did it fall? And is it still being blessed, or did they just sort of dump everything somewhere? <sighs> Creepy. Because in the movies, they say, like, it's better not to destroy the doll because it's It'll, it's tethered. Yeah, its spirit will be let loose or whatever. So we have Annabelle flying around now? Flying I love how you, I imagine her flying now, like a <laughs> witch or something. <laughs> the little doll. I don't know. That doll gets back and gets around pretty quick. Yeah, she does. At the end of the movie, she's always in the pawn shop or something. She's up to the next person. <laughs> okay, who's going to take me home? So, I mean, if you find a raggedy Ann, maybe don't. Just leave it. Just, just leave it for the next person. It's fine. And if you're an antique um, doll collector and you listen to our podcast, maybe wait for the next Raggedy Ann. <laughs> maybe get it blessed first. Get it blessed a few times a day. Yeah. If you want. Put if it you in want a box. One. You never know. You can never be too careful. Maybe that's what my new house needs. We need the, the Raggedy <laughs> Ann in the box. Yeah. Even if it's just a normal I Raggedy Ann. I think my parents Ann. would love that. That's that's very cursed. I approve. <laughs> But, um, I mean, I says apart from that and, you know, apart from the films, the, the true crime that actually happens on, like, the streets, that, that's, the, that's the part that gets to me. Those are the ones that, that I think really affect people. And I, I think I've blown up now. As I know oh, yeah. we were talking before we started recording about how it's really taken a hold of our community, that people really, really love true crime. They love knowing about stuff that actually happened. Well, it's weird. <laughs> it's there's a morbid fascination, especially with like I think the psychology of it. Definitely. Oh, that's the biggest part for me. And I started. Um, I've been w- listening to a lot of horror podcasts, and it's actually right about the time we started this podcast. I started listening to like true crime podcasts because I felt bad that I hadn't been listening to any podcasts at all. And now I listen to a lot, so that's pretty pretty cool. But um, I actually started I started out with Parcast Solved Murders, and they're like the Spotify exclusive, right? Not not a sponsor, obviously. Um, and then I started I I got into um, listening to Solved Murders, um, serial killers was the big one, and they have a lot of psychology. They have somebody that talks about why they believe that they are the way they are and a lot of it has to do with childhood right and how kids when they're abused sexually or physically or even emotionally that um they just turn out differently and there was there was one killer that they talked about who really didn't get paid attention to a lot at all and they do say that serial killers love attention that they tend to want to be caught they tend to want to grab attention to others um, I found that really interesting that after being like starved for attention for years and years, he went and got it. He went and took it. Yeah. 
And um, obviously most serial killers are men. So we can, I can sit here and very confidently say he. Because, like I said, I think I've only heard one episode about a woman. I mean, most killers in general tend to be men. I know I don't mean to call you out, Tyler. Okay. You're not a murderer. All right. Hold on now. Tyler is not a murderer. <laughs> but yeah, there's statistically, there's a... yes, you are correct. But um, not to say that that's always the case, but it's definitely when they talk about the childhood and they talk about how they've kind of built up. They they started right grave robbing. Maybe they start um killing animals. They've abused other children in the past, and then it kind of builds up to their first murder. And once they realize they can get away with it, it builds up to so many more things. Yeah. And there, there is sort of like, I guess, a moral question in this. Like, we're being entertained by murderers, sort exactly. of. Which calls into question sort of like, um, are we giving them too much credit? Are we giving them too much attention that they crave? They did this for attention and they're getting it. Yeah. And, and that, that really gets me too. And I've had conversations about this before about, are we just glorifying them? Right. But it's not about them. It's about the people that they murdered and glorifying them and giving them you know, being like, these were, these were people, they had families, they had lives, like, and their lives were cut short for no reason, not, no, no good reason, there is no good reason to kill somebody, so that part, you know, we, we have to, I feel like it's part of my job to learn about these people, to learn from the situation, and to, like, allow their memory to live on, they deserve that, they died in the most horrific way that you could ever die, they deserve to at least be known and their story to be out there. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with that, but um there are there are some podcasts where I've seen where they sort of glorify the killer too much. Oh my gosh, yeah. I have and I won't say any names, but I have had friends that have had crushes crushes on serial killers, and I think that is the most bizarre thing. Oh, uh, what what was the one that everyone was? What Ted Teddy Bundy? Ted Bundy? Yeah. I I don't get it. Why? He's not cute. Let's be honest. He's not <laughs> I don't, not only that, he's a murderer. <laughs> I just don't understand the appeal with Ted Bundy. I don't get it. I don't understand why people are glorifying a killer and calling them attractive. I mean. It's just kind of horrific. And the worst part is, Tyler, that it's not new. That, like, attractive women attended the um, the actual, like, court cases because they had a crush on him. Like, at the time. Right? This is not, this is not like, a new thing. This is something that's been going on for a while now. And, um, you know, it, I think he's probably one of the most attractive serial killers. Sure. But I think it's... It's not about that. (laughs) I think it's a sexual thing. Yeah. I think it's um, people, violence and sex sometimes cross over. And a lot of serial killers have that problem that they do tend to like cross those over. And it's kind of a taboo subject, obviously. But yes, I I think that that's part of it is that they're like, oh, I wish he had murdered me, but not literally. I don't know. I. It's just weird to hear those people and then it's like, 
No, he killed them. No, he actually did, though. <laughs> no, he killed those people. Yeah, and it, that doesn't make him a good person. And I don't think that they, they think that he's a good person. I just think they get off on the idea of him. Yeah. Right? It's not – I don't think they're terrible people for, like, being part of this. And it's – it's the same thing with, like, you and me, though. People think that we're terrible people because we talk about the devil or that we, like, <laughs> wear ghost merch or, you know, horror things. It's They, oh, they make on, assumptions about us. But it's we like the aesthetic of horror, the aesthetic yes. of, like, the idea of things, not necessarily the reality of it. Yes, but the killers I like are fictional completely. Yes, and they might be based on real people, but they certainly aren't real people. That's, that's where I draw the line, I think. <laughs> And, um, you know, and we were talking about this, too, before we were recording. We, we tend to do that a little bit. Um, and we, you know, we basically, like, record a whole episode without recording it before we record our episodes. You oh, the gotta amount be of times there. we say, save it for the podcast. Geez, <laughs> oh, stop talking. We, don't, we can't talk about horror unless we're in the podcast room. Um, but I, we were talking about um, the movies, right, the shows. Forensic Files is really cut and dry. Um, it is very, like... Here's what happened. Here's a dra- dramatic reenactment. Here's like all of these technical things that show you how they fell down the stairs and what and all the forensic behind it. So it's a little bit more cold, I would say. Less emotion, less picking sides, although there is a clear side. Oh, of course. There's always a side. They're always on the victim side and well, they yeah. they do interview the um the actual family members and stuff and that it does kind of give away the murderer. Do they, they ever interview the killer? They, I think they have in the past because they're most of the time when you watch it, um, they interview people as they go, and you kind of get an idea of who it's going to be because it's the one person they don't interview. But there has been a there has been an occasional episode where they'll like pan out, and you'll see that they've been interviewing them in the prison, right? Stuff like that, but not normally. Um, probably because they decline to talk about it. Um, I don't blame them for that. You know, why would you want to be on a show like that? I don't know. I mean, some of them. They do. They Some love of the attention. Have, right? Or, you know, they've died or whatever. And you do get thrown off sometimes when it's like, oh, yeah, they thought it was Uncle Tim. But, you know, the reason they didn't interview him is because Uncle Tim died two years ago. So um, that's part of it. And I started recently, I started um, watching a few other horror shows like that. And one of them is um, The First 48 Hours. So, and that one is really hard to watch, like, emotionally, because it's about... Have you seen it before, the first 48 no. hours? It's it's basically on the premise of the first 48 hours of somebody being murdered or someone going missing is the most important. If you don't find any clues or any leads in those first 48 hours, or you don't solve the case in the first 48 hours, it the likelihood of it being solved goes down drastically by the minute. Yeah, I've heard of that. So... That's what the whole premise is, and it basically follows, like, real-life detectives in solving a case in in 48 hours with the timer. And it's a little bit hard to watch because you know that they have these, like, cameras in front of these people's faces. And they there is one of the episodes I watched, they, they've told this woman that her sister was murdered. And, like, she's on the street. They're at, they're at, like, the scene of the crime, and they tell this woman, your sister's dead. And it's like, why are you putting a camera in the face of this woman who just found out her sister got brutally murdered in her own apartment in front of her son? Like, that's not funny. That's not something I feel like should be recorded. Yeah. But I also see it from a standpoint of, like, they're trying to help her. And the show is, like, giving them the platform to, like, get more help for the case. I get that. 
but it some of that does seem exploitive. It does. It doesn't feel right. And it, it is especially hard to watch like somebody go through those emotions of like, you know, trying to answer serious questions about her sister and then still like grappling with the fact she just found out she was murdered. And, you know, she was like, she was 17 and she had a, a little boy, like a little child. And just that, that part really gets to you. And like, you want so badly for that person to pay, especially in that moment. You know, in cold case files, it's kind of the same way, but it's it's more of, like, this long pain, right? This, like, family waiting for such a long time. And I think the one I watched before I came here, actually, it took them 27 years to solve a case. And one of the murders had already died by that point. And the other murderer was, like, on oxygen. He was, like, an old man. Like, it was just, it's so sad to see how much it hurt that family for such a long time. Especially since they thought one of, like, the family members was the murderer for years. Like, the whole community thought it was him. And he had to live with that. Even though it was never him. So, there's a lot of emotional stuff that come with it. And it, there's a, I don't know, you'd think it'd be scary sometimes. And sometimes it is scary. But most of the time it's just sad. Yeah, I mean, those cold case files... I mean, you found the killer, but too little too late. I don't know. The wound just feels so deep. And it's like, some at some degree, you're like happy that at least it's over. And I can't, I can't speak to it. That That's never happened to me. But you, I don't know. They make you feel like you feel their pain a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you take the emotional ride with them, not to their degree. No, God, no. At all. 27 years to find out who murdered your grandparents? Yeah, that's, that's a long time. Yeah, and I mean, just the thought of them being free for like 20-some years. Yeah, they got to have a life. Yeah, I mean, that that's awful. And there are a lot of people that are very like parasocial about that. And um, like watch the show and like take it seriously, but take it too far think that they're connected to it i've i've seen people like online oh yeah i mean i can't pretend to even know what they went through and i i'm i think a lot of these shows are made to learn from they're not made yeah. for you to become obsessed with the case or think that um think that the police didn't try hard enough or that it was the family's fault or to get too involved it's to be like this is this is kind of what happens this is the reality of it and i hope that you can learn from this and be careful who you associate with who you get into a car with who you let your children be around you know and think that not only young people get murdered old people get murdered too and it's not always sexual sometimes it's about money it's it's to make you more aware of what actually does happen we're not hiding from this this is real yeah and i mean that that is like a great part of these shows, a great outcome that people are like more aware. But then there's the people that are like, ah, I watch true crime. I could solve this. No, but those idiots. Some of them mess up like actual evidence. Oh, for sure. Like there, I don't remember what it was, but the, I think there was like a, uh, like group of redditors who like messed up this case. And then they, like, ruin the evidence, and you can't use it. Yeah, I mean, once you test, if you test too much of a um, piece of DNA, then um, it can be unusable. But it, it depends. I mean, PCR testing can allow for the 
the sample to be made larger so it can be tested multiple times but it depends it depends on how much yeah, but of the like sample you even have. other things like um the, it, like accounts and other things yeah like there's a lot of cases that i was learning about that um journalists right we, we work at cm life they got so involved and they got so concentrated on one version of how it could have gone down right there's a case about a girl who was murdered in her dorm room right college um and they found like um a certain type of material there right and they thought it was like a ritual killing they were obsessed with this ritual killing and everybody thought it was and it distracted the police so much that they didn't realize that that same material is actually found in paint and she was painting in her freaking bedroom and that's why it was there it was never a ritual killing and they wasted those precious 48 hours thinking that it was a ritual so i can see how people can be distracting and and it's not helpful it's not helpful thinking that you know how it all went down because you don't especially with social media now where they can just on blast full-on just like flood the sources of information to where you will never find anything and there's like a specific way that evidence needs to be gathered to where you can put someone away like tampered evidence cannot be used in the court of law so some wacko tries to like break into the break in somewhere and like tamper with evidence boom you can't use that maybe the guy walks free yeah, it's we we are not detectives, you know. I'm not sitting here claiming I am. I right, I've watched every episode of Forensic Files. Woo! I'm not a detective, right? I know about PCR testing. I'm still not a detective. Like that doesn't mean anything. I don't know what I'm doing, and honestly, I don't have the resources to do what they do. What they do is very very serious. It's very very um, educated. They they talk to everybody. They know people's like. Um, the way that they hold themselves, the way that they say things, they know all about that. I actually just watched this episode of, um, I think it was Cold Case Files, where he was at the scene of the crime, he was talking to this guy, and he could tell by his demeanor that something was wrong. And he's like, if you touch these kinds of people, when they're in this upset state, they'll lean on you and they'll tell you things. And he said, when he touched this boy, he started crying and said he knew where the little girl was and that she was dying. And by the time they got there, she had already passed away. But the fact that this detective knew just by his body, the way he was, he was reacting to things, that he knew something that he wasn't saying. Well, they're trained for that. That's their profession. So exactly. to think that some internet people can match them is insane. It's ridiculous. And, you know, and I myself, I'm like, oh, I know who the killer is. And it's fun to watch a horror movie and try to guess who the killer is. But that's that's not real life. You can't apply that to real life. And even though sometimes people can be helpful in coming up with theories that maybe the police didn't think of, it doesn't mean that you should insert yourself into these cases. Yeah. If you want that, watch Scream. Don't. <laughs> maybe yeah. stay away from the true crime. Yeah. And um, I don't know. Enjoy true crime, but don't don't try to insert yourself into it or... You know, you can come up with ideas and maybe try to help the police, but don't don't overdo it. <laughs> don't don't or, go over the top. Or idolize the killers. Yeah, please don't. Awful. Yeah, um, let's idolize the people who passed away that should have had longer lives. Or the people that 
found out who the killer was, right. the detectives. Yeah. The people who helped. They were the family members that have survived. And it's very ser- much more serious than what we normally talk about. But I think there's a lot of like horror, true horror that comes along with watching these shows because we do feel affected directly, like it really could happen to us. But there's a lot of sadness. It's mostly sadness. Well, in movies, it's like, this could happen to you. But true crime, it did happen to someone. Yeah, like when you start, a, when you start an episode of, like, um, what, Haunted Places, and it's about CMU and how there's places that are haunted at CMU, and you're like, what? It happened here? People died here? But... I don't know if CMU is that haunted. But. It's not. It's not haunted. But just, just like, um, right, I watched a Solved Murders episode where it happened in Lansing. And um, there's a murder that happened in Lansing. I was like, oh, gosh, that's in Michigan. Ah, like, I could die. It could be me. It could be you. Stay out of Lansing. Yeah, right? Stay out yeah. of Lansing, Tyler. Oh, man. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of, I think watch if you're interested in like really knowing about the case in depth, watch forensic files, watch cold case files if you, you know, if you're ready to see all of it. Yeah, and do it respectfully. But if you want something that's a little bit more cold cut, Parcast is really cold cut. They're like they really just tell it how it happened, but they don't give you too much. It just depends on what you're looking for, too. But yeah, um, I definitely recommend the podcasts if you don't want to get too sad. I, I do cry when I watch some of the episodes. It's kind of embarrassing, but well, I mean, it's hard. It's they're they're pretty horrific, especially with the kids. When they talk about kids, that's so much more difficult to talk about and to listen to and to hear from their families. Yeah, I mean, you see like how affected they are, and you. It's easy to self insert in the sense that like, oh, if this happened to me. I would be broken. And I, I did watch an episode about a child that died, and her stepdad kept talking about the way that his wife cried, and he said, there's no other cry like it. Like, it's such a human, soul-wrenching cry of a mother losing her child. Like, And just listening, listening to him say that, that he's heard that cry so many, multiple times now because they've helped other people try to find their children. It's very sad. Yeah, I mean... I've heard things like that. I I think of the hereditary mom crying. That's how I imagined it as well. Because that, that is very realistic, I feel. Oh, definitely. I, as we talked about in the A24 episode, those are very emotional movies. And I like that. I like that they feel more real, even though it's hard. It's still hard to watch and very heart-wrenching, but you know, part of horror is sadness. I don't think that you can... I don't know, enjoy a horror movie without being scared and sad for the people who die. And, you know, watching a horror movie and you have a favorite character and you're like, oh, I don't want them to die. I don't want them to die. And then... It's know. a lot easier with the Friday the 13th where, all right, maybe some of them can go. <laughs> I was like, uh, we were we watched um, Hoax, the the Bigfoot horror movie. Oh, Very yeah. good. I like the, the, the classic tropes because that's the kind of films that I like, but... I was like, no, don't kill Hutch. Don't let him die. Like, he's my favorite character. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not mad. But it was sad. I was very sad. Um, and I think that's part of it. You know, murder's sad. You know, we're not heartless just because we like horror. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a big divide, I think, between, like, watching Nightmare on Elm Street and Freddy killing people the, the goofiest ways imaginable with TVs and such, but true crime, yeah, definitely hits a, a lot harder. Well, and it's different. You True crime kind of, you don't see the murder. It kind of leads you through it. They kind of explain what happens. But then, um, you know, in horror movies, you actually see it. You don't see the aftermath, whereas... You know, if you're watching Cold Case Files, you've, it's mostly just aftermath. And that's so much sadder than the actual murder. But yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get so sad on you again. <laughs> I mean, that's what this episode was a little bit. It was more um, more just a look into the true crime. Yeah, and um, kind of this obsession with it. Because I obviously have this obsession with real-life horror real real life crime and just kind of how crazy it can be and how unthinkable it is and how so many of these situations are things that you've done right we were just talking about you know how our parents have forgotten us at practice before right my dad forgot me at drama practice and um you know and it wasn't a big deal he he remembered he came pick me up a half an hour late whatever or I walked home and in this one girl's case she didn't have that opportunity you know yeah and it's it puts us in these situations where I've actually been through this before. I've actually, like, walked home by myself, right? And I didn't get murdered. But, like, that's not always the case. And so that is the true horror. That's it, It's so much more deeper and so much more real. I think that's why people really identify with it. Yeah. And what? There was, like, some sort of st- statistic to where... Um, like, at least once in your life, you will walk past, like, a murderer. Yeah. Ugh. And you, you'll <laughs> never know. You, they, they fake so well. They have, like, taught themselves how to be normal. Or maybe, you know, I mean, in my case, it's already happened. But um, in other people's cases, maybe not. Maybe you'll, you won't know who they are. But, yeah, I'm, I don't even know what we would do for... <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about um, a last kill for this episode, but... I don't think there is one. Maybe, like, one of the movies we talked about. I mean, I think mine would be Forensic Files. I love Forensic Files. Um, there's so much to learn there, especially about forensics in general and how mysteries are solved. And there's some entertainment value and some really interesting stories to find there. I would say research Ed and Lorraine Warren who are portrayed in The Conjuring, but were actual real people. And go read one of their books. See what they looked like. They're not as, they're, you know, the actors that they picked were quite nice to them. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Patrick Wilson looks anything like Ed, but it, it is fascinating to read their books. They read more like Goosebumps books sometimes, but it's fun to see where that came from. Yeah, so your last kill is what, The Nun? I'm just messing with you. Hey, I love that movie. I I loved it too, to be honest. <laughs> All the movies are good. Not quite as good as some of the others, but I liked it. Same. Well, good pick for Final Kill. Yes, do the research. Let us know what you find. And um, let us know in our Instagram comments, our YouTube comments, what your favorite like true crime podcast or show or movie is, right? Let us know. I want to know. Yes, and you can find us at creepy underscore culture on Instagram, both with K's, and we'll talk to you next time. And don't say you'll be right back, because this is a horror movie, baby, and you know you won't be back. Come on. I'll be right back.
ha 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 ha.